All right, well, we're in 2 Peter, and we're moving on from that series that we did on exercising our spiritual gifts. And today we're going to see the importance of that. The problem is, is a lot of times we always want to know what benefit does something have? Is it beneficial? And so a lot of times we weigh, and I, you know, we, we say that a lot, we determine what we're going to do based on what we think the benefit is. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's not so good, because really an opportunity for God to teach and lead our heart is always good. And sometimes we look at what we think is benefit, and we don't weigh it based on what God says. But this morning, where God gives us, the neat thing is, is he shows us why we need to exercise godliness and those characteristics that we talked about for the last uh, couple months. And he's going to give it to us because of some important details. And we want to look at all six of them in a hurry. So hopefully you're in 2 Peter in uh, chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verses 8 uh, through 11 this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for being a family. Because, Lord, you adopted us into this family. You provided it for us. You provided the house. You, you uh, Christ, you died for us to take away our sins, to provide an avenue to be reconciled to God, to take away our unrighteousness and, and replace it with your righteousness. That's what you did when you died on the cross for our sins. And what a blessing. And so, Lord, I pray that today that we will rejoice in that gift that you have adopted us and that you went ahead to prepare a place for us that you told us in John 14 and John 15 that that place specifically for those that have put their faith and trust in you. Thank you for that blessing that we can enjoy this together as a family. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning and that you'd open our eyes and our hearts, that, Lord, that our heart would be grounded in the foundation of your word, and it would direct our thinking, and that it would direct our actions. I thank you so much for your unfallible word that gives us all things we need for life and godliness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we see in the context before we read our verses is remember that God gave us faith. It was through him that we have obtained faith and that we've all got it. And we all have the faith that we need. And in that faith, God has given us the ability to enjoy his divine nature. And he said in order to release that or to enjoy him and the characteristics that are from him, that we need to exercise some of these principles. And so we're going to read, actually, I'm going to go back to verse 5, and we're going to read starting in verse 5 and read to verse 11 this morning. So hear the reading of God's word, starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, with knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. It's another word for perseverance and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's increasing daily, they keep you 
from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will, be rit- there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the, or an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a quite a lot of benefits, and there's quite a lot of important information here. Some believers think that these qualities that we just read, virtue and godliness and perseverance and all of the things, depending on your translation, the word is tweaked a little bit, but they all mean the same thing, that in themselves, if I have them from time to time, then I'm good and, and I'm okay. But Peter says that they should continually be sought or abound in your life. There's something to pursue regularly, daily, often. And sometimes we think of, well, yeah, I, I've mastered that quality or I've done this or that. And we don't realize that we are lacking in them because we are not pursuing them. Well, let me, tell, let me explain it this way. I read, I read this article and it said, A farmer once said to his helper, who always filled the buckets of grain only three-fourths full when they should have been full. The buckets are never full until they are running over, the farmer said. Did you get that? The buckets are never full until they are running over. So the idea is same here, that Paul, or not Paul, but Peter, is telling us as a church the same principle. A Christian is never filled with the Spirit and enjoying the spiritual blessing until his life is running over with the good things of God and are refreshing the lives of others around you. We can't just fill up our buckets half full and expect that the spiritual things of life are just going to naturally overflow and affect ourselves and affect others. I want you to notice that in verse 8, our section starts with this, for if these qualities. Did you notice that? This is an if-then statement. If you practice these godly qualities that he says to add to your faith, if you practice them, then then these things will be true. Do you get that? That's a, it's a, I love God's logic. God speaks very logical, very orderly, very... This is a pattern. If you do this, then this happens. I like that. That's why I struggle with English. You can do it many different ways, right? That's why I like Greek. Greek words are very specific. I, I, I did well in Greek, not so much in English. <laughs> but math, I did really good because if you do this, then th- it equals this. And that's what God is telling us. And he's given us six main principles, and these are them. Um, i got to turn it on, sorry. There we go. All right, so in your notes, result number one, or benefit number one. You will not be useless. If you are practicing the things of God that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7, 
then you will not be useless. The word useless is, means inactive, idle, ineffective, worthless. If you don't want to feel worthless or be worthless in the Christian life, then practice these things daily. God says the benefit is this. The result is if you do this, then this will happen. You won't be useless. You will be used by God for something. The assumption of this word in the original language is that it is possible, it is possible to be worthless. Right? That's why I don't have llamas on my, in my farm. Right? I just, I don't see the value of it, right? I just like, they don't produce some meat. They don't, and, and my wife's like, they produce fur. And I'm like, but what are we going to use that for? <laughs> I was like, I, we don't have anything to create yarn. We go around and around. You can tell. I'm poking at her. So the word useless, it's like the assumption here is that if you don't do these things, you are, in effect, going to be useless, James chapter 2, 20, speaks to this exact same idea. In fact, it has the same context. It says in James 2, 20, Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You have faith that was given to you by God, your salvation, but if you're not working and applying that faith in your daily life, then you will be useless. The text that we read in 1 Corinthians 3, we, we read that and said, you know, if you focus on the wood, hay, and stubble, if you focus on the things and not the godly things, the things that last for eternity, and in effect, it'll be gone one day. It'll be burnt up. And all the things that you poured your life into will be found useless. But that's not what God wants. God says, practice these things daily so that way you won't be useless. The other benefit is found in the last part of verse 8, if you're tracking with us in the text. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Unfruitful. This same thing here is the assumption is if we are developing these qualities in our lives, God will use us to produce fruit. We'll become productive. Not only will we be useless, but we'll be productive. Right? We want to be productive. We want to have purpose in our life. We want to have direction. We want to have all of those things. And those are things that the world is drastically seeking. Jesus explained it in the parable of the sower when he explained it. And he said, look, in verse... uh, 22 of chapter 13, he said, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You can, go to the, you can go to church, you can go to Bible studies, you can read your Bible, but if, if you're not practicing the qualities that God says here in these verses and you don't make these a pursuit in your life, or of value to pursue, then the riches and the things of this world will overtake all the other spiritual things in your life, and it will choke them out to where you prove unfruitful. Now, the idea of being 
useful and fruitful is, in, is based on our deep understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the point. In other words, the purpose of us developing godly character is not so much so we have some quality ministry usability, right? Although that will happen, it's so that way we emulate and function the way that Christ functioned. Benefit number three is is that we will see and have discernment. The result here is if you do this, then this will happen. And what will happen is, is you'll be able to see right through deception. You'll be able to discern what is right and wrong. You will, the Holy Spirit will be directing your life and you'll be able to understand the things that are important in life. Many people have absolutely no spiritual discernment. They are so blind and they are easily led astray because their goal is not to basically grow their faith and exercise godliness and this godly character. They're so distracted by so many things that they don't see God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, as I read this, I'll highlight real fast, but Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Look, listen to the language. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Ephesians to the church. He gave, prior to this, he says he gave apostles and teachers to train to help the church mature and grow in their knowledge of God. Verse 14, he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. We won't be tricked by just whatever somebody says. And then he goes, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. By the way, guess who's the author of those deceitful schemes? Satan. Ephesians chapter 6. Right? By the way, Satan can't be everywhere, so you know what he's done? He's created lies that are based on truth, but are still lies that twist the truth and his scheme is to get you so you cannot see the truth. So that way you are ineffective and unfruitful. Verse 15, rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When, e when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you notice every part working properly? Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Do you see this? No discernment. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Right? You say, well, why do some Christians just seem to never really see the truth? Why can't they just understand and discern what is right and wrong? I mean, it's really easy. Well, it is. When you're pursuing the things of God and you're exercising what God has given you in your faith, 
The Holy Spirit directs you. He opens your eyes. He pricks your heart. and He makes it easy to see. God puts the best set of glasses on your eyes so you can see all the things that are worthless in the world. But when you're not seeking godly character in your life and you're not exercising it, you cannot see it. And it causes more problems. Reason number four. The result, if you do these things that are written, then this will be a result. Number four, we will be more confident. We will be more confident. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says in uh, verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is, is also nearsighted that he is blind. We talked about that. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For it, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The benefit here is one of confidence. The idea of making your election or calling sure is talking about your salvation in Christ, what God has done for you, is, is when you exercise these qualities written in verses 5 through 7, then you are making your salvation visible in your life and you become more confident because you see what God is doing and that you are saved. Have you seen the difference between a confident worker and an unconfident worker? Right? The unconfident worker may know more, but he's more likely to cut something off. Right, Jonathan? <laughs> when you have confidence, you, you can pay attention more. You can, you, you're more diligent. You don't get distracted. You get more accomplished. You, you work harder. You, you don't get so drawn in easily to things that are distracting. In fact, it says, make it certain. Romans 4.16 says, For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise, God's promise of salvation, may be certain to all the descendants. It may be certain. God wants that, us to know that we're saved. That's assurance. Go to 1 John. It's all through there. Certainty has, was used, that word was used to confirm something as in the legal terminology as valid as a will. It's saying that this is a legal, God is saying this is legal, that if you practice these things, you will know it is for certain that you're saved. That's great. That's why he wrote in Romans, the whole idea of Romans 8, 28 through 31. All things work together for God. You know, you know that one? We always quote that when everything is bad. Well, don't worry, it'll work out, right? Well, look at this. It says, and we know that for those who love God, the idea there of work, adding, supplementing your faith, those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, not according to our desires, but according to his. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
If God saved you, what can change that? Nothing. It's God's work. God is perfect. God is holy. He is righteous. It's his righteousness that saves us, not ours. And if we are practicing godly characteristics in our life, we're going to be confident because we're going to be confident in his work. We're not going to be confident in our surroundings. Benefit number five, the result. If you practice these things, then we will not stumble. That's what that word fall means in the end of verse 10, right? What does it mean? It's not meaning that you won't be unsaved. What it means is, is that no matter what's going on in your life, you are going to see correctly. All the benefits add up. You're going to be more confident. You're going to know which direction you need to go. You're going to be listening to God. He's going to be directing your heart. And because you can see those things and you're more confident, because you know it's God's work, it's not based on your work, you're, you're going to say, whoa, there's something in my path. Right? Like a big fat spider. I got some heads coming up. <laughs> so you know that it's like, whoa, I'm going to avoid that path, right? I'll never forget the time when I was riding my bike in Oklahoma, and it was the only like, fun thing to do besides stay away from snakes and tarantulas, which I didn't do. I caught them. <laughs> um, but we were riding to school, and there's a cottonmouth stretched across the the, you know, across the path, and there's bushes on one side and a pond on the other. What do you do? Well, you jump off and you let the bike hit the snake. I mean, what does any boy do, right? <laughs> and then you run, and hopefully that the snake doesn't get you because cottonmouths like to chase you, right? But I knew what it was. I could see it. I could see it coming because my mom was wise and knew that I would play with snakes, so she made me watch every single poisonous snake video there was. Stay away! <laughs> right? I knew not to walk over that snake. It would kill me. Or I had the potential to. Guys, this is the benefit. The believer who is working on his or her life to implement the qualities of godliness in his life, will discover that he will not trip or stumble in his relationship with the Lord as much. You're going to be able to avoid. God will steer you clear of things. It's, it's really amazing. I love what Psalm 37, 24, listen to this promise. It says, steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. When we delight in God's way, Though he fall, he will not be cast headlong. It's actually the word for stumble. For the Lord upholds his hand. When we begin to stumble for whatever reason, whenever we begin to fall, God will be there to, to, to walk us along. We're going to see that exact same wording in another verse here in a little bit. God becomes our rock. He becomes our fortress. He becomes everything. And the result, number six, is that when we, we will have an abundant entrance into heaven. It's, by the way, it, Peter's not saying that this does not have to do with our salvation getting saved. This has about our result of when we meet the Lord. Uh, you know, you've you got to be thinking about this, but there are two people that are going to enter into the heaven 
those that are saved just by fire. Everything in their life will be burned up except their salvation, right? They'll just squeak by, right? They're going to be in by the skin of their teeth, and there will be those that are going to be abundantly rejoicing and throwing crowns at Jesus' feet and worshiping him. Two different kinds of... Remember, God said, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Same word. He wants an abundant entrance. He wants us to lavish riches on the Lord. The Lord wants us to glorify him. If we don't practice these things, we're just going to eke by, tripping, miserable, unconfident, unfruitful, useless. We're going to feel miserable within the body. We will not enjoy being a part of the body of Christ. We'll struggle if we're not practicing these things. That's what Paul's point was to, to Timothy. It was Paul's point to the Corinthian church in verse 15 of what we read. John MacArthur put it this way when talking about the future eternal kingdom. When we get to look forward, it says, If you are truly a Christian and do not diligently pursue moral virtue, you will live in doubt. Depression, fear, despair. You will worry about your spiritual condition. You will wonder if you're really saved because you'll not be seeing the increase of these godly characteristics in your life. And beyond that, while in the future you will enter into the kingdom and you will find that you are not going to receive an abundant supply of reward in that day, you will receive praise from God, but it will be to the degree that it might, not to the degree that it might have been if you have pursued virtuous, godly things. That's, that's the idea of our context. How do you want to enter into this one more than anything? All the other ones are useful now, but this one stirs my heart the most. How do you want to stand before the Lord? He says, if you practice these things, you will boldly propel yourself into the presence of the Lord, praising him, loving him, rejoicing with him as he richly rewards you for the eternal work that you participated in. Or you will stand before him as all of your works are burned away and you have nothing to show with what he gave you. How do you want to enter into the kingdom of God? We're going to pray and then we're going to have my version of short family time. We're going to have a, 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 a family powwow together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for this time that we get to actually exercise some of these godly characteristics together as a family. That we get to use some of this brotherly love and, and love and we get to use your characteristics. And Lord, I pray that you will use this time not only to show us how you view us, and how you love us, but how we can love one another.